Hi, you guys. This is our new read aloud book. This is a book I borrowed from the school library at the beginning of the school year. And uh, oops, I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to doing that with you guys right now. It's called This Promise of Change, One Girl's Story in the Fight for School Equality by Joanne Allen Boyce and Debbie Levy. Or Levy, but I, I think Levy. And um, on the inside, basically the dedication is to all humankind who've experienced the pain of injustice injustice and inequality in memory of my parents herbert and alice josephine hopper allen your courage wisdom love and belief in me continues to sustain me and my brother herbert howard i miss you i miss your genius for my children victor h london camelin my greatest and most beloved accomplishments for your support of and help in writing this book and my grandchildren, Dimitri, Cameron, Maya, and Shia, my beacons of hope, the lights of my life for loving Nana so much and inspiring me to always tell my story. And then she puts in the quote that we have hanging outside the classroom. Education is the most powerful weapon, which you can use to change the world. That's a quote from Nelson Mandela. Um, and that was uh, Joanne Allen Boyce who wrote all that. And then Debbie Levy says, with admiration for and gratitude to the 12 students of Clinton, Tennessee, who boldly took their rightful places. All righty. Oh, and then there is an introduction. Okay. Introduction. The United States Constitution says that all American citizens are guaranteed equal protection of the laws. For years, though, the laws of many states required black children and white children to go to separate schools. In southern states especially, where racist traditions had deep roots in centuries of black slavery that endured until the end of the Civil War, many whites could not abide the thought of their children attending school with black children. Lawmakers who were uniformly white would not send public monies to create good schools for black children. So African-American students were forced to attend schools with inferior buildings, supplies, books, and facilities. This type of racial segregation and discrimination in education, required and enforced by state law, was the norm well into the 20th century. Despite the Constitution's equal protection guarantee, the United States Supreme Court found no constitutional defect in segregation. To the contrary, in 1896, in the case of Plessy versus Ferguson, the court said that facilities that were racially separate could be considered equal, or at least equal enough. Decades later, in 1954, came Brown versus the Board of Education. In that case, the Supreme Court reversed the position it had held in the line of cases since Plessy. Those old decisions were wrong, the justices ruled. Separate but equal schools were not equal. They were not equal even if the buildings, supplies, books, and facilities of schools for black children were brought up to par with schools for whites. Racially segregated schools deprived African-American children of equal educational opportunities and were unconstitutional, period. And so, what next? A Supreme Court ruling is a big deal, but it cannot enforce itself. White lawmakers and white citizens were in no hurry to desegregate their schools. Some states passed laws to punish people who attempted to comply with Brown versus Board. 
Some made plans to shut down their public school systems rather than allow black and white children to go to school together. If Brown versus Board's promise of change was to become reality, people had to take action. In the small town of Clinton in eastern Tennessee, a group of 12 African-American high school students stepped up. This is the story of one girl among those 12. So this begins part one, mine, theirs, and ours. Chapter one, Clinton, Tennessee, my town, fall 1955. And there's um, at the top of the page, it says that there's a sign at the city limits that says, don't hurry through town. Give us a chance to be friendly. Up on the hill, Foley Hill, some say, but we just say the hill. We look down on downtown, not looking down our noses, just looking down from our hill where we live. We have the high ground here, here on the hill, once called Freedman's Hill after ex-slaves moved here when they became ex, way back when the Civil War ended. Those 600 climbed the hill north of town and built their homes. Now the hill is my neighborhood. Clinton is my town. Anderson County is my county. Tennessee is my state. Up on the hill, we have all sorts of homes, not nice and not so nice, mixed up together. Mine is nice, at least I think so. We have all sorts of neighbors, nice and not so nice, mixed up together. My family is nice, and I don't say that just because they're my family. Mom says daddy knows no strangers, which is a clever way of saying he knows everyone. Mom is quieter, but you can borrow a cup of sugar anytime from our kitchen and you never have to pay it back. Up on the hill, we have Friday night fish fries at our church. Trout crisped up, crisped up crunchy in great big pots of hot oil on the fire. Kids running around in the churchyard, because how much fish can a kid stand to eat? Ball games when they're still light, hide and seek in the cemetery after dark, and the big treat, the special only at the fish fry treat, bottles of red soda pop with peanuts in the bottom. I look out for Mamie, my little sister, and Herbie, our baby brother, because I'm the 14-year-old and because I don't mind. Up on the hill, we have concerts, gospel music sung by famous gospel singers like Clara Ward herself in person. Clara Ward and the Ward singers have been on television and at, the Car and at Carnegie Hall in New York City and at our very own church. Surely God is able, they sing, and how I got over wearing gowns glittery with sequins. Hair swept in updos, way high up on their heads. And this is not something you see in church every day. Up on the hill, we put on plays and musicals. It's Alice Josephine Allen at the piano, that's my mother, Herbert Allen, that's my father, singing out in his deep voice, and Joanne, that's me, and Mamie in the youth choir, my family fitting in nice and tight here. Up on the hill, where my town is a friendly, fine town. Chapter 2. Clinton, Tennessee, their town. It's not so much an us and them, girl, but I didn't make the rules. Oh, sorry, I'm going to start over. I read that wrong. I'm not so much an us and them, girl, but I didn't make the rules, and the rules draw lines between us and them. Their town is friendly and fine, too, with white people friendly and fine, to each other as they go about the business of running the town, the schools, the businesses, and going to theaters and restaurants as they please. 
and friendly and fine to black people who stay in our places. And we do stay in our places, which is always a place where we know friendly white smiles can turn upside down in a quick minute if we try to move those lines between white and black, and you and don't you forget it. I know something about their town because my mother has worked for a white family, the Crenshaws, for 25 years, ever since she was 16. They treat her nicely, and she treats them nicely. Mom cooks for their family, making fancy dishes from Mrs. Crenshaw's recipe book when they have company. Dishes like chicken divan with asparagus, which she comes home and makes for us too. Delicious. Almost as delicious as my mother's fried chicken. Almost as delicious as my father's fluffy biscuits. Mm Mm-hmm. They both can cook. Mom keeps house for the Crenshaws too. And it's a house with, with a room full of books. One entire room filled with books. You remember I said my house is nice? Well, it's not nice enough to have a library right at home. I would like that one day. I used to sit in the Crenshaw's library and read when I was a little girl, and my mother brought me with her to her job. Even today, she brings home books that the Crenshaw family is done with. My favorite ever is The Robe, a story that shows just how much Jesus had to put up with and just how strong Jesus had to be to go through what he went through. And yet still, he said, love thy neighbor. If my house were overflowing with books and I needed to make room for more books or clothes or furniture, I would find a book other than the robe to give up. But if Mrs. Crenshaw had to part with it, I'm glad she, I'm glad it found its way to me. On the hill, we all know something about their town because we all have a mother or aunt or sister or cousin who works as a maid or a cook for a white family. We all have a father, an uncle, a brother who does yard work or handyman work for a white family, and we all see what it would be like to be more free in where we go, how we speak, what we do. I would like that one day, too. Chapter 3, Clinton, Our Town. 3,500 white people, plus 220 black people, plus one movie theater where Negroes may only sit in the balcony plus one swimming pool where Negroes may not go at all, plus one fun rec center with bowling alleys, ping pong tables, badminton, but not for Negroes, plus one public library, only Negroes aren't part of the public, plus one public high school, whites only, plus one drugstore where Negroes may buy things but may not linger and definitely may not sit and eat at the lunch counter where I hear they serve chicken salad sandwiches made from roosters, not hens, plus zero restaurants where Negroes may eat, equals segregation. Separate, not equal, segregation, the way it is and always has been. I try to look at the good side of things because there's nothing I can do about the bad. So we may not sit where we want at the movies, swim in the pool, go to the rec center, library, restaurants, but we have our own churches, two of them, Easter Parade, Everyone looking fine in new outfits. Gym at the Negro Elementary School where all us kids hang out. Neighborhood where everyone looks out for everyone. And this is the good side of things, which I wouldn't trade just for a better seat at the movies. We don't need white people to be our friends. We like the friends we have, thank you very much. But we all get along, I'm sorry, but we get along with the white family across the street from us, the Smiths. Yes, the Hill has a few white folks called white trash, 
by some other white folks in town, who I suppose can't imagine living this near to us. When Mrs. Smith runs out of flour or sugar, she knows she can fill up a measuring cup or two at our house. When Mr. Smith goes deer hunting, he shares the meat with us. Mrs. Smith makes the best home fried potatoes, crunchy, crusty, and salty, served with sweet tomatoes from her backyard garden, and we eat them with her kids, Ruby, George, and Riley, in her kitchen. I call this neighborly, not trashy. Blacks and whites in Clinton mostly get along well enough, I think. We are civilized to one another. It's not like Biloxi down in Mississippi, where we hear that Negroes have to step off the sidewalk when the white people walk by. Imagine that. The worst for me, I'd say, is the feeling I get at Hoskins Drugstore, where my friends and I go after the bus, after the school bus drops us off at the end of the long ride back from where we go to high school at the Negro High School, clear over in Knoxville. The feeling is that I better hurry up, buy my candy bar, and get out, because they want our money, but don't really want us as customers. I go in because my friends do, but the candy isn't as sweet as it was when I was younger and didn't notice. Oh, I'm sorry. But the candy isn't as sweet as it was when I was younger and didn't notice the bitter taste. And there's another sign at the city limits posted here that says, Welcome to Clinton, a wonderful place to live. Good fishing on Norris Lake. And um, I'm going to stop it right there, even though that was just um, 13 minutes. And the first part was introducing you to the book. But um, I did forget to tell you that the book is in a poetry format. So I'm not sure if you can tell that or not. It's kind of hard when I'm reading it because it, it does still feel sort of um, like it's in uh, prose form as well. So anyhow, um, I hope you get a good understanding of how that book is starting and what the potential problems are going to be. And I will read more for you tomorrow. Okay, that's it for today. Again, the book is called This Promise of Change, One Girl's Story in the Fight for School Equality.